This is Wildcat Country. It's only right. The ball's in his hands. A milestone victory for Arizona. Simon Says Championship. All the inside scoop on U of A Athletics. Welcome to another edition of Wildcat Country, Eric Cohen and Shane Dale. And Shane, this is as action-packed an episode as I think we've had yet in the seven months being back. Not only do we have a few marquee guests who I'll get to in a second, but we're actually talking about a sweet 16 team in the Arizona women's basketball team. So congratulations to them. And the start of uh, spring football, it's all happening at U of A. But let me tell you, before we go into the show, tell you about our guest tonight. I-, I think this is the biggest guest we have had on the podcast just yet. A future Hall of Famer, Terry Francona, U of A legend and manager of the Cleveland Indians, two-time World Series winning manager of the Boston Red Sox, going to join us in the first segment to talk everything about his affiliation to U of A and the the Red Sox winning titles, giving us some great stories about that, and of course his uh, 2021 Cleveland Indians. And then later in the show, after we talk more football, we're going to bring on Jermaine Wiggins Jr. and his dad, former NFL tight end Jermaine Wiggins Sr., to talk about Jr.'s commitment to U of A last week. So Shane, that was a mouthful, but this is going to be probably my favorite show that we've done yet. Well, is it because Terry Francona or is it because the women's hoops team got to the Sweet 16 for the first time in 23 years? Or is it because football's back or is it a combination thereof? And it's because I get to put you on the spot, but I won't do that right well, that's, away. Well, that's that's a difference from, from most episodes, well, isn't it? All right. Well, let's talk about we're, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, March 24th. And the reason that I bring that up, the Wildcats women's team has just advanced to the Sweet 16, which is wonderful. But ironically, this is a great day for Arizona basketball teams. In 2005, Salim Stoudemire hit a shot at the end of the game against Oklahoma State in the Sweet 16 to advance Arizona to the Elite Eight. We don't have to talk about the game after that. We don't want to talk about the game after that. And in 2011, what I believe was the finest game of Sean Miller's Arizona career uh, in Anaheim against Duke, where Derek Williams just was by far the best player on the planet, on the college basketball planet that night, and dominated a Kyrie Irving-led Duke team. And now the Wildcats women's team has advanced to their first Sweet 16 in, I believe, 24 years, Shane, something like that? 23 since 1998, since I was a junior in high school, yep. Wow, that's that's wild. And so the Wildcats are there. Uh, they beat Stony Brook rather easily on Monday. And tonight, uh, before we recorded this podcast, they took on BYU, who was an upset winner, one of the rare upset winners in the women's tournament. And your thoughts on the game? It was a six-point win, but your thoughts, it was, it was ugly. You know, uh, my thoughts were, on the one hand, obviously this is a tremendous accomplishment for Adia Barnes and the women's basketball team. You know, for them to be this deep into the tournament, this relevant, I mean, to be in the tournament in the first place uh, and to get this far is a major accomplishment for a program that was at the bottom of the conference a few years ago. On the same side of that, I feel like this was the very lowest point that they could get to, in my opinion, for it to be considered a successful season. Because they were that good going in. They were a top 10 team most of the season. I think they struggled toward the end. They've struggled mightily on offense. We saw that again against BYU. They look great against Stony Brook, but BYU is a different story. 
I think this was the baseline for how far they needed to get for me to consider this a successful season. Uh, I think they're playing with house money at this point because Texas A&M, and I'm going to get to their game in a little bit because they're very fortunate to advance. But I think that they had to make it just this far for it to be considered a success, which is kind of crazy for thinking big picture, considering where Arizona came from when Dia Barnes took over this program. When you and I started talking about this uh, and the women's basketball team earlier in the year, Shane, I said Elite Eight or bust. And as the season went along, that seemed to be going just fine until the end of the year when they struggled and they struggled to score points. And then we decided Sweet 16 was pretty good. And they got there and we're, we're pretty satisfied right now with where they stand. Now, Monday, they teased us because they scored a lot of points against Stony Brook. And tonight, uh, before we record this, they looked pretty bad offensively once again against what well, wasn't a great BYU team, an 11 seed. Not, not great. I, I'm concerned, but I'm happy at the same time. If, if nothing else, they got where they should have gotten this year, right? Well, I'm not sure how we can say BYU isn't that good. I think it's really tough this season to see teams correctly in both the women's and the men's side because you know every year, obviously, you play your conference teams in your conference more than anyone else. But this year, especially, like sometimes it's just it's exclusively teams in your conference, and it's hard to get a gauge for just how good or not good you are. You know, Arizona, for example, had two non-conference games. You know, easy games against NAU and Idaho, and they took care of those opponents. But I think we're seeing just how good the Pac-12 is because they beat up on each other for for a good three or four months. And I think that the Pac-12, and we saw it in the men's side too, obviously, that the Pac-12 is is the best conference in women's basketball. And I think we're seeing that. And I think BYU obviously was was also uh, a better than an 11 seed. It's really hard to gauge because of all the factors. So with that said, you look at Texas A&M coming up. Uh, the Aggies are very fortunate to be this far. Uh, they had some very generous officiating against 15 seed Troy, which nearly became the first ever 15 to beat a two on the women's side. And then a couple of days later, they had to get some very good calls in the last minute again to come back and beat Iowa State. There was a jump ball that was obviously a, should have been called a foul against A&M. Uh, the official furthest away from the from the play called the jump ball, and then which gave possession to Texas A&M. Aggies tied it a few seconds later, went to overtime. The Aggies won in the last second. So uh, you, uh, from the one side, you know, A&M has not looked that good in this tournament, so you think Arizona's got a shot. On the other hand, the Aggies have dodged a couple bullets, and they're they, they're going to take advantage of that. They're a very balanced team scoring offensively. They have all of their starters average double figures. Uh, they're not the greatest defensive team. They're averaging about 61 points a game allowed, uh, which is uh, you know, significantly more than Arizona. So it's a matter of who plays their game. Is it you know because Arizona for better or worse now is you know first team to 50 or 60 points wins. That's just who they are at this point. If they can get Texas A&M into that kind of game. And you know, make their shots down the stretch, make their free throws down the stretch. They were only five of thirteen against BYU, and you know, they, they're not going to be able to depend on the officiating. That's for sure. Uh, and if they're able to do that, then then they they might they might win. I'm not optimistic about it because I think A and M is counting its blessings. I think they're going to be a different team when you see them next time. Um, but yeah, I think at this point, if they don't get past the Aggies, I think you can say, you know what, they got a second place finish in the Pac-12, their best in a long, long time. They got to the Sweet 16 for the first time in 23 years. I think at this point you can say if it, the season ended uh, against A&M, it's a success. Yeah, I would say that's probably accurate. Uh, A&M has dodged bullets, as you said. And in this case, 
when a team, I always like to think when a team plays close games and finds a way to win, that usually propels them as the tournament goes along. I think Arizona will be an underdog. Yep. Uh, and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, they've, they've done what we want, uh, thus far. I don't think, I'm not going to predict A&M to win the game, but let me say this. If Arizona were to win, I would be surprised. I, I know A&M, as you said, has had two close games, but I'd be surprised. I, I just, the offense just, it, it's too Ari McDonald and Kate Reese and, and nobody else. And, and that's the problem yeah. that I have. They have to have a third scorer step up. And Trinity Baptiste was that scorer in the first game. And she had a big second game as well, on uh, not away away from scoring. She had 11 rebounds, had a big back tap that led to an area McDonald basket late in that game. But yeah, they need a third scorer to step up. I'm going to hedge a little with my prediction. I think AM is going to win. But hmm. if Arizona gets past the Aggies, I think they're going to make the final four. Because I still think AM is the best team in that region. And NC State is probably going to be without one of its best players, Kayla Jones, due to injury. Hmm. If the Wolfpack make it that far. So I think if Arizona gets past AM, I think they're going to make it all the way to the Final Four. So, one thing about women's basketball, unlike the men's tournament, which we're going to talk about here momentarily, um, in the first round, uh, higher seeds were 29 and three in the women's tournament. And thus far in the second round, I believe they are uh, like 11 and four pending the UCLA Texas. I think they're just a lot less common on the women's side. They're very, very uh, uncommon. Now, that's not a good sign for Arizona, but. You never know what can happen. I think it's going to be fun. Saturday night, 5 o'clock Arizona time. Uh, it's a very weird schedule that the women have yeah. because they go – they go, uh, they'll play Saturday, Monday, and then if they make the Final Four, it would be next Friday and Sunday. So you would be playing five games in a span of eight days, which seems like a lot. Or excuse me, is that four games in eight days. Which Basically, like you don't lot. get the kind of break that you usually get in these tournaments. If you play two right. games, you have four right. or five days off, you, have, you play two games. This one is kind of just all the way through, which um, you know, I don't really mind necessarily. It's just bizarre for March. You know, one thing that I love to see, and especially, and we're going to talk more about the football team in the next segment, but I love to see, I don't know if you all saw the video on uh, on Twitter of the football coaching staff cheering on the women's basketball team yep. before before their send-off on, or before Monday's game. I love that. I love what Jed Fish is doing, and I think other programs on campus need to take note of that and, and cheer on everybody else. I love that Jed Fish, you know, is playing tennis with the men's tennis coach every every week. I love that he's, you know, they're putting together videos for Adia Barnes' team. Where's the men's team? Where's where's the baseball team? Where's the – I mean, let's let's see some more – camaraderie and i appreciate what jed fish is doing in that regard agreed and i'm sure dave hickey appreciates it as well because as an athletic director i'm sure he's always struggling to 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 get more attention on every every sport that's not football or men's basketball you know he always tweets hey i'm at track and field today i'm at the men's golf tournament today i'm sure he's thrilled to have uh, jed fish and that staff step up and promote uh women's basketball and jed always he also shouts out the other teams as well it's such an easy thing to do I don't right. think it's a requirement, but it's a nice thing to do. By the way, did you see Don Brown's dunk in that video? I did. It was fantastic. Fantastic. Guys, the guys still love got Don. it. Love, love Don Brown. Uh, we're going to talk about that more, and we'll get your wrap-up of the other sports that we usually get after the Terry Francona interview. But I want to talk about a couple of men's basketball things, considering we've all been watching the tournament, the men's tournament, uh, last weekend and, and obviously upcoming. Uh, some big upsets. Uh, Illinois was the biggest team that was out, but the biggest story in all of college basketball right now is the Pac-12 with four teams in the Sweet 16. You have UCLA, who you know won a play-in game close over Michigan State, beat BYU, and then got, got a lucky draw against Abilene Christian. 
You had Oregon, who just uh, got a, a forfeit and then smoked Iowa, who's a pretty good team, but overrated. Uh, you had USC, who demolished Kansas, which who's a perpetual fraud Kansas is. But wow, could, USC could not have looked better. And then you have those Oregon State Beavers, who uh, just a stunning, stunning one. Uh, you know, won a first round game and then and then uh, against a, a 12 seed, and then went and took out a four seed in Oklahoma State. Uh, excuse me, they, they beat the five seed, and then they beat Oregon's Oklahoma State as a four seed, easy for me to say. I mean, just a stunning run. So the first question I have, now that you have seen, Shane, the Pac-12 success, in hindsight, should Arizona have not gone on probation for this tournament? Now that you know what, what happened with the rest of the teams, are you are you a little bit more regretting that Arizona's not in this tournament? Are you saying? Are, are you suggesting that Arizona would be in the Sweet Sixteen right now if they had had made the NCAA tournament? I mean, I just think that's hard to predict. I, I, I it is, but but Arizona played UCLA very close. Yeah. Arizona beat USC. Arizona uh, played Oregon fairly close the first time around, and they demolished Oregon State once by thirty some points. And and then and I know Oregon State's playing really well, but they but would, right but now. You know what, Eric, Eric, Oregon State wouldn't be in this tournament if Arizona had gone to the Pac-12 tournament as well, because Oregon State got that five seed and only had to play three games in that tournament instead of four. Right. There's a good chance they would not have made the NCAA tournament because they had to win the, the Pac-12 tournament to get in. There's a good chance they wouldn't be there if they had to play four games instead of three. So they ought to send Dave Peaky and Robert Robbins a gift basket. Yes, I, I would agree with that. Um, with that said, do you have a little buyer's remorse now that you have seen what the Pac-12 has done? No. I mean, they're going to get a postseason ban at some point. You know, and might as well get it out of the way. I, I'm not regretting it. I don't think it's going to make a difference as far as what the IARP decides. Uh, you might as well get it out of the way sooner. And if you want to move on from Sean Miller at some point, it's better to have that behind you. Like, for example, the IARP says, okay, you're going to get a two-year postseason ban or a three-year postseason ban. Well, you would think they're going to count that that self-imposed year as one of them. So at least you have one. Um, hopefully that's it. If they decide Arizona's worth just one postseason ban, one year, isn't it better to have it this year as opposed to next year when it looks like they could be a top 25 team? Yeah, okay, fine. Um, but I'm also watching these other Pac-12 teams in the tournament. I'm like, Arizona's just as good as these teams. Arizona beat USC and Oregon State on their home floor. Now, I know they haven't beaten Oregon and, and UCLA in a while, but in a way, it's a little bit frustrating. Uh, I'm great. I'm you know glad to see the conference do well. Bill Walton looks like a genius. With that said... You know, Arizona. The conference was nine and zero at one point before Colorado uh, the other night. Um, yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I know. Uh, Tad Boyle, he's not a very likable guy. Uh, it, I don't know. There's a little buyer's remorse on my on my end there. Okay, question number two. When you look at the five vic- victorious tournament coaches from the Pac-12, uh, Mick Cronin, uh, uh, Dana Altman, Andy Enfield, Tad Boyle, and Wayne Tinkle. Is Sean Miller a better coach, in your opinion, than any of those five guys? Would you rather have all of those five over Sean Miller, or would you rather have Sean Miller over some of that list, if not all of it? Seriously? I'm, I'm you, serious. You would rather have Wayne Tinkle ahead of Sean Miller? Wayne Tinkle, and I know I'm going to get crap for this, Shane. Yeah, Wayne Tinkle has done more with this team, with his with – his, not as talented Oregon State team than Sean Miller has done with all uh, with all but one team, which was the the 2011 team. He was they had great teams in 2015 and 2016, and in the 2013 team with Ashley with hurt. 
I mean, they were expected to do well. Wayne Tinkle has taken a group of, you know, ragtag guys, and they're in the Sweet 16. They got hot at the right time. It happens. Good for them. Wayne Tinkle's 52 and 76 in the Pac-12 lifetime. I'm talking about, you see, regular season doesn't matter anymore, though. If you win in the tournament with this, and that's that's the one fault of the tournament, Shane, is the the regular season means little. In the you could go zero and twenty six in the regular season and pull an Oregon State and win the Pac twelve tournament and get in and make a run. That's the only problem with college basketball, in my opinion. You would you would rather have a a fifteen and fifteen regular season team that get that wins the Pac twelve tournament as opposed to an at large team with twenty five and five. That has a, probably has a better. I mean, look, teams get hot every so often. It happens. Oregon State's on a hot streak right now, but they're a very average team. If they were to lost to UCLA in overtime, we wouldn't be talking about this. I'm, right, sure, but, I'm but, sorry, Eric. This is silly, even for you. No, but but, but wait, but wait a second. My point is this: I'm not saying that uh, Wayne Tinkle's a better recruiter because he's there's nowhere in the same stratosphere as Sean Miller. My point is, if you took the same team with Wayne Tinkle and the same team with Sean Miller, you can make an argument as to who the better on court coach is. And so if, I have if my someone opinion. offered you that swap, you take it straight if up. The te- if it, for one season, if the teams were equal, yes. No, there's only one coach in the Pac-12, Eric, that I would consider swapping straight up for Sean Miller, and that's Dana Altman. That's the only. Oh, one. he's a bit, well, Altman's a better coach. I agree. Well, because Dana, Al- think- what Dana Altman does, let me let me say this: what Dana Altman does is he has a team that goes to the tournament and usually is a, is makes noise in the tournament every year. The, Lou Olson used to do that. Lou Dolson mm-hmm. used to do that in Arizona. They were a five-seater better 16 straight years. They were one or two seed 11 of those years. Now, Dana Alban's Oregon Ducks aren't that good, but he reloads every single year, which is something that Sean Miller has not been able to do, at least not recently. So you trade me, you know, you offer me Dana Alban straight up for Sean Miller, I would certainly consider it. Anyone else in the Pac-12? Only four coaches in this conference have a lifetime above 500 Pac-12 record. So, and Altman's one of them. He's got a 667 winning percentage in the conference. Sean Miller's number one at 688. Even with the struggles recently, he's still number one of all the sitting Pac-12 coaches. 11 of them right now because Utah doesn't have a head coach currently. Right, right. I, I, I'm not, I'm just throwing the argument out there. I, I'm really, really impressed with Wayne Tinkle with what he has to work with and what he does with it consistently. Why does he not have more to work with? Because recruiting to Corvallis is a disaster. Okay. I mean, who the hell wants to go play in Pullman, Washington, or Corvallis, Oregon? Very big, nobody yeah. in their right mind. Nobody in their right mind does. Okay. I mean, no, nobody really. I mean, it's very rare that you see, you know, Mike Leach did a phenomenal job. When when Mike Riley and Dennis Erickson were winning at Oregon State, they were doing a phenomenal job. Those are as hard. Those are way harder jobs than U of A. Way harder in all sports. Would, would you be saying this two weeks ago about Wayne Tinkle? Um, Probably not. Okay. So but this I've is very much what he's done for me lately. Don't. I, it's important what he's done. Obviously, NCAA tournament victories count more than anything. But yeah. it's it's a hot run that Oregon State has gotten on. If they go on and win a national championship in two weeks, then, then maybe I'll, I'll sing a different tune. But yeah, look, 52 and 76 in the Pac-12, not even close to 500. At some point, you can't use the, oh, well, it's the Cor- Corvallis excuse. Because Mark Few recruits to Spokane, Washington. Okay. So they, I, have I built, they have built a they have built a a powerhouse there over yeah. the last 20 years. It at Oregon State they have not built anything. Now I think personally I think Loyola Chicago is going to going to crush Oregon State. I, I that's what I do. Let me ask you and I just want to circle back with this last question before we get to the Frank Cohen interview. Uh Illinois, uh University of Illinois basketball team. They they won the Big <laughs> 10 tournament. That. They they yeah, I know you did. Uh they and and didn't we all 
They were the second best Big Ten regular season team. They won the Big Ten tournament, and they crashed and burned in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Yeah, they did, did they have a successful season, in your opinion? Yeah, I see where you're going with this. It's tough. But you know what? I'll tell you this. You could say the same thing about Lute Olson because it, yes. it, it, it's ridiculous to say because he had he went to the final four four times and he they, they won the national championship. So obviously he he was a fantastic coach. But they're still the only team in NCAA tournament history to lose to a 14 seed in the first round one season and a 15 seed the next. They lost to a 13 seed in the first round. They lost to a 12 seed. They lost to a, an eight or a nine seed as a one seed twice in the second round. I'm going off off memory. I remember all of these. So if anything. It's crazy to say, but Lute Olson's team underachieved big picture in the NCAA tournament for how many good teams they had. Yes. But big picture, Lute Olson was a fantastic coach because odds are if you get there year after year as a one seed or a two seed, eventually you're going to get to the final four or better. It didn't happen for Illinois this year, though. Why, why have we forgotten about Lute Olson losing to these teams? Because he won a national championship. Sure. Why do people let Bill Self off the hook at Kansas because he won a national championship? Same with Calipari. That's another one. He's won. He's won national championship. You know that's where Sean Miller. If Sean Miller wins a title at Arizona, we're going to forget about 2011, 2015, 2016. We're not going to. We're not going to talk sure. about that anymore. So I don't know. I, I, I'm probably going out on on a soapbox about Wayne Tinkle. I'm buying into the hype. I think he's done a phenomenal job these last few weeks. And that's what college basketball favors. It favors what have you done for me at the right time. Regular season success, as we saw with Illinois, doesn't really matter that much, does it? Just saying. All right, coming up, it's it's the biggest interview we've had on Wildcat Country yet. Terry Francona, the manager of the Cleveland Indians, two-time World Series winning manager. I am so excited to talk to Tito and find out about his U of A loyalty here on Wildcat Country. This is our biggest guest we've had yet on the podcast. Really excited to have him on uh, for the first time. I fortunately had the chance to interview him at an East Valley Toast and Taste event last year. One of the highlights of my broadcasting life, uh, Terry Francona, future Hall of Famer and the manager of the Cleveland Indians, two-time World Series winner. Thank you so much for joining us. And he's also a legend at the University of Arizona. Terry, first of all, you came from Pennsylvania where you grew up and you ended up in Tucson. How did you go from point A to point B? You know, uh, I wanted to be a major league player. I mean, my, my dad was a major league player. Ever since I can remember, that's all I wanted to do was be a baseball player. And my dad looked at me because I was considering a couple teams on the East Coast, a couple schools. And he said, you want to be a major league player? And I said, yeah. He goes, go to Arizona. He knew Jerry Kindle, he, you know, was, was going to teach me not only to play the game the right way, but how to act as a person. And, and he was right. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better situation than coming to the U of A and to be around Coach Kindle, Coach Stitt, Coach Wing. Those guys were the, the best. I mean, when you're 18, 19 years old, it's not that often where you, where you know you're getting – like every day you're getting better. And they got to be pretty special when an 18-year-old realizes that. Well, that's for sure. And, you know, you guys had a special season in 1980. But what was great about your championship run is that you guys were down. uh, I believe you lost the first game of the tournament and had to win out. What do you remember most about that Cinderella run? 
you know, it was kind of the same way during the year. We had had our hiccups during the year, too. And I remember Coach Kendall being awful upset with us because we weren't probably play, playing up to his expectations. And then we go to Omaha, and Frank Viola, two hit us. I think it was St. John's. And so you, back then you got the loser's bracket, which means basically you're playing every day. And we just started reeling off wins, and it was really fun. Because, you know, when you're in college, and it was my third year, you know, everybody feels like family. I mean, they're your roommates and guys you've hung around with for three years, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And I don't care where you win, whether it's college, the minor leagues, or the major leagues, wherever you are, that's the most important thing. And that was, that's one of my best memories that I'll ever have. Terry, uh, in terms of national championships, college World Series appearances, Arizona is one of the most decorated college baseball programs in the NCAA. And yet, I feel like Arizona isn't necessarily known as a baseball school nationally anyway. Well, would you agree with that? And can anything be done, do you think, to change that? Well, perception? and I understand that because, you know, the basketball team, you know, sure. since Luke came out to Tucson, he really put Arizona on the map. And, and I, for good reason. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, I think Arizona has a really good reputation for, for, for bringing baseball players into pro ball. And we certainly have some national championships to throw to show for it. Um, I know the years I was in there, ASU probably had more major league players, but I think we had more guys get drafted. And I think we won more, which is what we cared about. I know the University of Arizona has always sort of been the centerpiece of the city of Tucson, contrasting to ASU, which has all the pro teams to compete with up in the Valley. What would you say the relationship between the community and the university is like now compared to when you were a student athlete at U of A? And that's part of what I think was the draw for me in Tucson is, is after college staying there is because just like you said, I think everything is surrounded by the U of A. And as opposed to in Phoenix, where there's a professional feeling to it. And I think the whole town, the whole city uh, takes on that attitude. And, and I enjoy that. I, I think college sports is, is really fun. And it's not as maybe snarky as maybe, you know, we get with professional sports. So I think that atmosphere permeates a lot throughout Tucson. And I really like that about the, about the city of Tucson. Well, you had a, a, a nice playing career for nine or 10 years, and then you went on to be a manager. And what most people don't realize is that you managed the Birmingham Barons in AA in the early 90s, where one Michael Jordan was one of your players. What was it like coaching arguably the greatest athlete of all time? Well, my life certainly changed that day when they announced he was coming to Birmingham. Um, you know, I didn't know it at the time because I was just trying to survive but it was the greatest learning experience you could ever be put into. Like you kind of alluded to, arguably the greatest athlete on the planet, dealing with media, um, learning to be organized. Also at the same time, trying to make the 24 other guys feel every bit as important as Michael uh, was a challenge. And it was a great learning experience. When I look back on it now, I couldn't have been thrust into a better learning environment than that. Well, you then were able to manage the Phillies for four years and, you know, we're, we're doing some coaching. And then you were hired by the Boston Red Sox in 04, and you were one of the rare managers to win a World Series in your first year. Now, one story that you told me last February that was an all-timer was before you, you come back against the Yankees down three games to zero, you, you win that, 
before game one of the World Series, you noticed your players in the locker room doing something a bit off. Can you tell us about that? Well, I, they were, you know, they were all getting in the middle of the clubhouse doing a toast. And I didn't really think anything of it because I just thought they were kind of getting together, you know, putting their hand, whatever. Well, I had left something in my office. It was in St. Louis. So I ran back up to get it. And they were all there doing their thing. And they go, hey, Tito, come on over here. And I did. And then I found out that I think it was Jack Daniels. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, like, let's tone this down a little bit. But that group, (laughs) that group was, you know, we laugh a lot. There's a lot of characters, but they had character. And when it was time to play the game, they played the game. And I'm not sure you'd want to mold every team just like that, but that one team was pretty special. Terry, I know you've been very generous uh, to your alma mater, helping to fund what's appropriately known as the Terry Francona Hitting Center, which we see every time someone hits a home run to right at High Corbett now. Why have you chosen to stay so connected and involved to the university over the years? Um, I always wanted to try to help because I didn't think I would have gotten, in fact, I knew I wouldn't have gotten where I was in professional baseball without the U of A and without, like I said, Coach Stitt, wing and, and, and Kindle, but I wasn't in a position because as a player, I kept getting hurt, getting released and just trying to hang on. And then as a manager, I was fortunate enough where I actually started to make a little bit of money where I could give back. And that was one of the things I wanted to do just again, because I knew I wouldn't be where I am without the U of A and the people that were there that, that kind of shaped me. So it was, it made me feel good to give back. I know you didn't get a chance to do that this past season, but you're often spotted in the front row at UVA basketball games. Um, I think you've gotten a chance to know Sean Miller a little bit over the years. Just uh, what are your thoughts on him? How, how well have you gotten to know him during his 12 years in Tucson? Well, it's funny. I've actually known Sean for longer than that. Um, a lot of people don't know it, but Sean grew up probably 10 minutes from me. You know, I grew up in New Brighton, Pennsylvania, and he's from Beaver Falls Blackhawk. Right. And, and his dad ran all the youth leagues when I was growing up. So, I mean, I remember Sean. He's a little younger than me, but I remember him when he went to Pitt. I remember him when he went on Johnny Carson's show and did his ball handling stuff. Right, right. So, I've, it's just a small world. You know, when Lute came to Tucson, I remember thinking, I need to get tickets. And I had got two tickets that were way up on top, but, man, I was, uh, I was hooked. And then when I came back to Tucson, I got the seats that were a little bit better, but – that's the highlight of my, of my win. I mean, I try to look at the games and try to make sure I'm in town every time there's a home game because I love those games. Well, we want to ask you one thing about your team this year. Uh, the Indians, you have, you have a, a wonderful ball club. Uh, Shane Bieber won the Cy Young last year. Uh, you, you know, you made some moves, traded Francisco Lindor. But outside of that, I mean, you guys look to have a pretty good contender in the AL Central. Tell us what you're thinking for 2021. You know, we've certainly got younger. That doesn't mean we can't win, you know, nor will that ever be an excuse for not winning. Um, we, we, we think we have, a, we have the pitching that can give us a chance to win every night. We also think we're going to have kind of a sneaky good bullpen. Um, there might be some names that people necessarily haven't heard of yet, but we think they got a chance to be okay. We're going to be the kind of team that you can't roll the bats and balls out there and expect to win. We know that. But if we play the game right, I think we're going to be okay. And I'm looking forward to the challenge. It's fun. It, 
you know, with, with youth comes some enthusiasm. You also need to be patient at times because if you're not, you know, I think you're kidding yourself. But I enjoy our guys. We have some big decisions to make, and they're hard ones. But once we get to that, then we'll strap it on and see if we can see how we do. Terry, I know you got to get going. We appreciate your time. I got to ask you one more question. Since I happen to work for the city of Goodyear, playing out at Goodyear Ballpark, uh, you spent a few years out here, a few springs out here at Goodyear Ballpark now. What are your thoughts on the city of Goodyear and the West Valley overall? This is my ninth now. It's going fast. Yeah. And, and I love it. Uh, they treat us wonderful. You know, I, I laugh when the guys come from Florida from spring training, they're amazed at how easy spring training is out here. You know, a road trip, you know, like today, we're playing the Rockies. It's 20 minutes, 25 at tops. So you don't hear the veterans grumbling about making road trips where you got to go from Fort Myers all the way over to Orlando or something. It's just really conducive to getting your work done a lot easier and a lot more economically. Um, I stay at the Wigwam, which is an older resort that's just uh, about two exits down. I love it out here. Is there any, any particular places you have to go, like, uh, like any restaurants? or any, I know this year's a little different, but are there any places you love out that way? That's the problem is right now I eat every meal in my room because yeah. we're, we're kind of on lockdown. Um, one of my go-to places was called the Old Pueblo. It was right across the street from the Wigwam, and it's a Mexican restaurant. And I would go in there and just tear it apart. I <laughs> loved it. Well, Terry Francona, one of the most famous Arizona Wildcats of all time, a, a future Hall of Famer and a wonderful guy. Thank you so much for joining us. Best of luck this season and hope to catch up with you again down the road. Guys, I enjoyed it. Have a good day, okay? Shane, what a thrill to talk to Terry Francona. It's really cool that, that the Cleveland Indians PR staff uh, was, was able to set this up for us. And great for Terry to take some time to, to, uh, to talk to us. It was a lot of fun to interview him back in February uh, 2020 for the East Valley Cats. And, and now to be able to do so again with you. Uh, what a thrill. And, and uh, just the, one of the biggest guests that we've had. We have another great guest coming up later in the show. But first, Shane... Uh, I want to talk about the other sports. Uh, what's or get your wrap up? What's going on with the other Arizona sports? Uh, because we've talked a lot of basketball and soon to be football. But what's going on with everybody else? All right. Do you want the good first or the not so good first? All right, let's go with the good news. Give me the good news. First. Okay. Well, I got to scroll down here because I got the good news toward the bottom. I thought you were going to go the other way. No, no. We got good All news. Right. I want good All right. News. Good news first. All right. Let, let's start with our volleyball teams, uh, both indoor and beach. They both been outstanding recently. Uh, indoor teams won four straight matches. Uh, They swept Cal in a two-match series last weekend on the road. Their chances of making the postseason seem slim, at least according to people who pay more attention to that than I do. But if they win out, they might have a shot. Uh, They have a two-match series against uh, USC this coming weekend, uh, then two matches at Washington State the following week to close out the regular season. And congrats to Sofia Maldonado-Diaz, who was named the Pac-12 Freshman of the Week for the third time this season. Wow. Now, our beach volleyball team uh, split a pair of contests on Sunday. Uh, they beat Boise State. They won five, four out of five matches in that one. They put up a great effort against Cal Poly, the nation's fifth-ranked team. They lost that one three to two, three matches to two. It was their first loss of the season. Hardly a bad showing. They actually moved up a spot in the rankings nationally to number 14. Uh, they move on to Pac-12 play now. They host Stanford, Oregon, Utah, ASU. This weekend at the Pac-12 South Invitational, so lots of postseason implications in that one. Uh, going down the list, our men's golf team finished tied for fifth out of 18 teams at the NIT in Tucson, finishing 28 under par as a team. 
Our gymnastics team earned a postseason bid. Uh, they're headed to the NCAA regionals in Salt Lake City. Awesome. They'll face, they'll face Temple in the opening round matchup on April 1st. So congrats to the Gymcats. And some individual accolades. Want to mention Delaney Schnell with the Arizona Swim and Dive team. She was a national runner-up in the platform dive event at the NCAAs on Saturday. So big time uh, congrats to Delaney. Also, my current favorite name for an Arizona student athlete, Johnny Blockberger. Mm-hmm. Broke an Arizona freshman record in the 400 meter dash at the Willie Williams Classic indoor in their uh, outdoor season opener. And finally, for the good news, our soccer team continues to own the Arizona State Sun Devils. Excellent. Uh, they picked up their fifth straight win over ASU, one nothing in Tucson on Friday, or one nil, if you will. Uh, the Sun Devils were undefeated. They are not anymore. So the Wildcats are now six and three overall. They picked up their first win in Pac-12 play. They have matches at USC on Friday and at home against Stanford on Sunday. Now, are you ready for the not so good? Yeah, I'm going to assume that softball is probably in there and baseball is probably in there. Yeah, softball continues to struggle, man. They, they lost two games at Washington last weekend. Washington's one of the best teams in the country, but still, they lost both of them. Uh, two, two of those games are also canceled due to rain, so they only got two games in. Uh, now, they've only scored six runs in their last five games. They've lost five of their last seven overall. Uh, but they do have a chance to right the ship in a four-game series at Oregon State in Tucson this weekend. So hopefully uh, Mike Hendry's guys get back on track. Uh, you alluded to baseball. They split four games last weekend. They did lose two out of three at 11th-ranked UCLA in their first Pac-12 series of the season. Uh, starters, uh, Starting pitchers Chase Silseth and Garrett Irvin both had good outings. Uh, Silseth had kind of a hard luck loss um, in the, the opener. Wildcats did beat Loyola Marymount 18 to two on their way home. Um, they're ranked anywhere from number 21 to 25 nationally. Now, depending on what poll you're looking at, uh, they face another ranked team at home, Oregon this weekend in a three game set. So it's going to be their home Pac-12 opener this weekend. Um, also I mentioned our, uh, last week, our, our men's tennis team winning 13 in a row. Well, you can call it the Wildcat Country Curse, Eric, because Uh-oh, they now watch no. three straight. Yeah. Uh-oh. They, uh, all the ranked opponents, Baylor, Texas, and Oklahoma. Uh, so they're on the downswing now after uh, getting their highest ranking nationally in almost 40 years. But they've got USC and UCLA coming up at home this weekend. Uh, so hopefully they can get going there in Pac-12 play. Uh, the women's tennis team also lost their last two matchups against Cal and Stanford. All right. Well, next time I'm asking for the bad news first and then the good news because there was more good news than bad news. So let's right. turn it around, Wildcat teams. And uh, hopefully Shane will have a better report next week. All right. Now, uh, my favorite sport, uh, which is the Wildcat football team, and you, you obviously know my passion for that. And those of you who've listened to the program for the better part of the duration uh, know that my passion for the Wildcats football team. Um, what's interesting before we talk about spring football, ESPN released their 80 best college football defensive players of the 2000s. Now, seeing some of Arizona's defenses over the last 20 years, uh, would would make you think that they're not going to have anybody on that list. However, two players uh, that were Arizona Wildcats won major defensive awards during that time and are on this list. I think a little bit low, though. Scooby Wright is 51st and Antoine Quezon is 55th. Uh, both of those seem a bit low for my liking, considering both won uh, significant uh, defensive player awards, as I said. Um, would you agree with me? You think that seems a little bit uh, off base there? Well, is this list going off of uh, single seasons or overall collegiate careers? Overall collegiate careers. Okay. In, yeah. 
Which and means I think, so, I think yeah. Scooby's ranking is probably fair. Then, if he had done what he had done for maybe three years, then I think he should be a lot higher. He had a tremendous season in fourteen, uh, thirteen. He he had he was very, very good. good. He was yeah. up and coming as a freshman. Then fifteen, he was out with an injury most of the year. Then he declared for the draft. So I think, I think it's fair. I could see that. I know he racked up the national awards, but I think considering that he only really had that one breakout season, it was a huge season. It will go down in Wildcat history. They they could he contributed to a, a fantastic. A fiesta bowl run. Uh, but I think that big picture that that's probably fair. I think Antoine Quezon, you can make more of a case for him being hired because I think he, he was dominant his at his position a little longer than Scooby was. Yeah. Won the Thorpe award and uh, back in 07 had the, uh, I think the, the game that we all remember, uh, obviously there was the Cal interception in, in 06 when he took that back and they beat a top 10 Cal team, but uh, a Thursday night game against Oregon uh, where Dennis Dixon got hurt. He was in the Heisman race. Yep. Brady Leaf threw a pick six and then Kaysan returned a punt for a touchdown. It was a, uh, it's really a, a showcase game for him. And uh, you would love to get him on the show uh, at some point. Now, uh, spring football is starting up. Uh, Tuesday was the first practice of 2021, which also means the first practice of the Jed Fish era. I'm just going to say I watched – if you haven't had a chance to watch the video uh, and videos that are being put out by the football social media team, they're fantastic. And, I mean, I, I just wish it was September already because I, who knows how this team's going to look, but Jed Fish is doing everything right. This guy was up and at him at 5.30 in the morning, and he's still watching film at 8.30 at night. Do you think Kevin Sumlin was doing that? Hell no, he wasn't. And and he wouldn't allow for that kind of social media digital access either. There's no way. There's no way that he or his, or his handlers would, would have allowed that. So, But you remember what Wilton Spade told us is that, you know, they had a big win when he was at um, at UCLA and like the very the, the very next uh, – next day or at Michigan, rather not UCLA, Michigan, the very next morning, uh, Jed fish is like in, you know, in his ear talking about, Hey, I got 15, 20 plays for the next game. So Jed fish doesn't take any days off. Like Brendan center said, he's the terminator. He doesn't have to sleep. So again, whether he's a good coach or not, that we'll see. But in terms of the effort that he puts in and engaging with the community, engaging on social media, he is so the antithesis of Kevin, someone, and it's been such a, a breath of fresh air. You know, we can criticize the process all we want. We can think about, we can go back and listen to our shows in December where we were negative on on the process and we thought it was a slam dunk with Brent Brennan. I, I don't think Dr. Robbins and Dave Hickey could have picked a better person, better coach than Jed Fish to try to turn this thing around. It's going to be a long haul. I mean, they're not going to win games right away. But the enthusiasm that Jed Fish has brought to the program the, the access that Jed Fish is getting. He's out. I mean, he's talking to everybody. I love it. This is what we need. The engagement he has he has brought from former players, this is unprecedented since Dick Tomey. You know, there are two ways, Eric, to get four- and five-star guys on your team. The first is to recruit them. That's the easiest way to do it. Arizona doesn't have that luxury. So they have to do it the other way, and that's build them, coach them up, coach up these three-star and two-star guys which Kevin someone failed at. You know, we had PJ Johnson. We talked about that. Yeah. He just, he wasn't used to having to coach up these guys. And so fish and he brought up a, he brought together a fantastic staff who I think is going to, and we're going to ask Jermaine Wiggins Jr. about this because Don Brown recruited him uh, and brought him to Arizona. He brought together a staff with NFL experience and guys who were used to sending guys to the NFL and building them up from maybe three-star guys to guys who are going to, 
going to be drafted in the, in the NFL draft. You know, and you see that with Don Brown, you know, the intensity he brings. You know, it's he's he's he said it yesterday or on and we're recording Wednesday. He said this on Tuesday. He said, "If you don't run to the ball, you will not play for me ever." He said that I love ever. It. I love it's it. A great I love that. Oh, it's a great time. I love and it. He said, and he also said, "Look, no one's going to wait for Arizona to catch up." You know, we can't – I'm not going to take it easy on these guys, basically, is what he said, because if we do that, if we ease into things based on the level of talent and, and experience, we're going to keep getting our butt kicked. So you might as well you know, put their feet to the fire right away. So I like that attitude. I love the fact they have guys who have either coached in the NFL or have a track record and or have a track record of sending guys to the NFL because that's how that's that's how you, you build up guys. Arizona has to do that. They're not going to get a lot of – they're not going to get any five-star guys. They might get a few four-star guys here and there, but even at the height of Jed Fisher, if they start winning, if they're still they're, they start winning Pac-12 championships, even then, they're only going to get a handful of four-star guys. They've got to be able to coach up those two and three-star guys. Now you're absolutely right. Now I know I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, and that's fine. I, I, this I, I'm going to sound like our buddy Jeff Dean. This team is going to be better than we think, and it's because it's they're well coached. They, he, these guys, including Don Brown and, and Jed Fish and, and the entire staff, they're going to get more out of this group of players than they probably should. With Kevin Sumlin, this team is probably a two-win team, a one- or two-win team. With Jed Fish, they're a four-win team, at least. I, Arizona Maybe. will win four games. I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to revise. I said three, you know, the other, the other week. I mean, they, I don't think they can win six. I don't know, but you never know. This, what Fish is doing, is so unprecedented from anything that I have seen since I, I mean, I started going to, to U of A in 01, and that was the start of John McAvick. So it's been McAvick, Stoops, uh, Rich Rod, Sumlin. I mean, Sumlin failed. Rich Rod was, was good. Rich Rod, we had some good years. Mike Stoops was good. McAvick was a disaster. But we have not seen the engagement, uh, the, the community support, the alumni support. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. And, and I really believe that Something you brought up early on, this is months ago, Shane, after Fish was hired. Well, the guy's uh, traveled all over the place. You know, he's a job hopper. I'm afraid, you said, I'm afraid he's going to leave Arizona at some point. And I thought about that recently. I think we're going to lose a lot of coaches over the next few years. But that's a good thing because I think these guys are going to move up. I think we're going to see progress. And that is what excites me. And I believe and I trust in Jed Fish that when guys move on, he will hire the right guys. I think Don Brown might be the biggest coordinator hire Arizona has had since Mark Stoops and Sonny Dykes. And I think there's no question about that. You know, and in terms of the digital strategy and reaching out to the community, you know, I've worked in city government now for about a year and a half. I work for the city of Goodyear, their, their digital communications department. And basically what we try to do is be our own sort of TV channel, our own news channel, and put out news to you know, not only on social media, but send news packages to media, you know, our, you know, Phoenix media and basically like try to get them to report on us. And we were able to put things in a certain light in a certain way that makes Goodyear, the city of Goodyear look great. It's not, it's a, there's no lies in there. It's just, you know, it's obviously the positive stuff. Mm-hmm. It's such an easy thing to do. And I think it's going to be done by more cities and more states going forward. Now, I think Jed Fish understands the value in that from the U of A football side of being, your own, you know, your own sort of TV news station, bypassing the media. The little five-minute video he did of uh, like, you know, a day in the life, like his first day of spring 
spring practice where he gets up at five. He's calling his wife on his drive to the stadium. You know, he's talking to Brennan Carroll, who's blasting rap music. And I think it was, he was blasting uh, gin and juice in his, uh, in his office. Uh, so all of that is stuff that's so easy to do. And you're telling a story and you're engaging and you're building goodwill with, uh, with fans that way, the same way that we're trying to do a sort of in city government. And so, and again, it didn't take, I'm sure it didn't take a terribly large amount of effort to do all of those things. And yet, you know, Kevin Sumlin didn't do it. A lot of universities around the country aren't doing it. Believe me, maybe a lot of them don't think they have to. But that kind of um, that kind of engagement, that kind of access, is something that's very strategically smart of Jetfish and his staff to do. Well, one thing that Jetfish did is he brought in a, a broadcaster, a true sports reporter, and Danny Rogers mm-hmm. to run this this communications department yeah. for the football team, and and really, you know, excel in the social media world. And she's done a great job, and the and I know there are other people in that department that I'm not that I'm not uh, that I don't have their names at the moment, but they're doing a wonderful job, and they are they're getting us excited, and they're selling tickets based on what we're seeing in these videos, and that's exciting. But Shane, another thing that's exciting is seeing Arizona land a commit from the Northeast, and that is Jermaine Wiggins Jr., one whose dad has an NFL pipeline in that he was a longtime tight end in the league played in two super bowls and one i believe it was super bowl 36 with the new england patriots tom brady's first super bowl let us talk to both wiggins now and find out why jermaine jr decided to make the jump to the university of arizona shane this is a fun one we have a a new recruit at u of a which is really exciting but then he's also a legacy of a longtime NFL player, and we have both of them joining us today on the show. Jermaine Wiggins Jr. and Jermaine Wiggins Sr. joining us here in Wildcat Country. First of all, guys, thank you for, for being with us. I'm going to start with you, Jr. Um, you just committed to U of A from the Northeast. How did you find our, our alma mater, our, our school, and what, what made you decide to, to commit there? Well, I know Don Brown as a coach because he recruited me when I was at Michigan, and he's a really great guy, great coach. And when he got released and went to Arizona, I really started talking to him, and I remember I just wanted to stay on top of him, so he still recruited me, and I had sent my film and everything. And then that's when I started to – once he gave me the offer, I reached in and looked into the school and see how it was. And every day I would just look at the facilities, the surrounding of the place, and just the scenery is beautiful with the mountains and everything. So I was just like, talk to my family, my parents, everyone in my family. And I prayed about it. And I was like, I think this is the one, even though I'm doing a post-grad year at Bridgeton Academy, I felt like I need to hop on top of this right now because this place is incredible. Getting out of the snow definitely is an appeal. <laughs> yeah, so nice weather. So that's yeah. great. So for Wildcat fans listening right now who are just getting to learn about you after uh, your, you made your commitment, what do you yeah. want to know about you? What should they expect when you take the field in Tucson? Well, I'm a beast. Like, I listen, I'm going to do everything 100%. I'm trying to play as a freshman, do anything in my power that I can do to get on the playing field right when I step on the field. And I'm just ready to build their future of what they got. I know Jed Fish, he just came here. So I'm trying to become, make, make the Wildcat country just bigger and more everything. Just, I'm just happy. I can't, I can't even have words. I'm just so happy. So, like you mentioned, I think you could have been part of the 2021 class, but you're yes. taking an extra year to prepare for college. Is that right? Yes, yes. So I'm doing a postgrad year in Bridging Academy, Bridging Academy up in Maine. So 
that's where I'll be doing my extra year. So I'm a class of 2022 now. Okay. And, and so for Jermaine Sr., uh, what role did you have in, in the recruiting process or did you kind of let, let your son just sort of, you know, see it out on his own? Um, really, I just kind of like anybody that I knew, I would try to reach out to and just say, hey, listen, you know, uh, give my kid a look, give me your honest opinion, um, be as transparent as possible. So that was kind of it. But, you know, with Coach Brown, that was just something organic that he came to, you know, when he was at Michigan, he recruited that area. So he came up to school and, you know, my son, um, uh, this was two years ago as a sophomore, I, you know, he liked what he saw and just try to stay in contact with him. So for me personally, I just, you know, I stay out of it. It's, it's a lot different than when I was coming out of school. I, <laughs> I didn't have many options. I had to jump on the first thing. So, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. But for him, you know, he had, he's had a bunch of options, a bunch of different schools that have shown a lot of interest in him. So he's kind of, you know, felt like, you know, what Coach Fish is building there as far as the culture and, you know, wanting to turn that program around. And obviously we know Coach Fish from, you know, his time up here in New England yeah. and, you know, just uh, the, the the way he coaches. Uh, so, and who he coached on as far as Belichick. So we're excited about that. I'll tell you what, Shane, you know we're getting older when a guy that you had on your fantasy team back in the day <laughs> has a kid now that's committing to our alma mater. That's <laughs> awesome. I got to say, I love that. Jermaine, <laughs> I want you to give kind of a – Give us a scouting report of your son, you know, from a former player's perspective it, it, that you can give. Break down your son um, for what we're going to expect uh, since he's a, a multifaceted player as well. Well, you know, one guy that I've always – we always watch film on and we kind of – I always said, you know, if you're going to be like this guy, be like him on the field, not off the field. But we've always watched film on Lawrence Taylor. You know, so I try to, you know, say, hey, listen, you know, be a guy that can play the run, can get after the quarterback. You know, if they need you to drop in coverage, can do that. But also you have the ability to put your hand in the dirt. And so um, I think when you look at Coach Brown and his defense and some of the guys is he, that he had throughout his coaching career, you know, just some of the guys from Michigan that, you know, we know here in New England and Chase Winovich, and Josh Uche and, you know, Quiddy Pay, who's coming out this year, uh, really, you know, using that hybrid style of athlete, like, you know, my son is, you know, 6'4", 250, that can kind of do a little bit of everything. Um, and, and, you know, the biggest thing for him that I think he does really well, which, you know, you don't see a lot of kids doing nowadays playing the run. Everybody wants to rush the passer, which is great. But, you know, I try to tell him if you can play the run and get after the passer, you know, those guys are hard to come by because, uh, you know, that ability to just set the edge and, and, and not be afraid. That's awesome. I mean, we're really excited. I wish he was coming this year because uh, I'll tell you, they, they, they need you, uh, Jermaine Jr. You know, uh, what did you know about Arizona even a few months ago? Was that even on your radar before Don Brown got hired there? Uh, well, I, my mom has a, some family up there. One of her friends lives up there. So she tells us how much, like, how beautiful it is. And Arizona really, I really wasn't, like, looking at the school until I got recruited. And then once I got recruited, that's when I just was staying on top of the school and looking how everything was. So uh, you mentioned Don Brown, obviously the appeal of playing for him, Jermaine. Uh, it's, he seems like a guy, just listening to him on a Zoom press conference, he seems like a guy who most players would just run through a brick wall for. I think most media members would too. So <laughs> what, what was it about uh, Coach Brown? You know, he obviously is known as Dr. Blitz. What about him really specifically appealed to you? Well, everything, like, he's just a great guy. Like, every he would call me every day, check on me. Him and Coach Hundley would always check on me, make sure I'm doing all right. And every after every game, I'd send them film, and they'd call me after, tell me what I need to do, right? And 
the way he plays defense, I was just in love with that. I love just to get after the – I love to just blitz and go after the quarterback, but I also love to play the run like my dad said. But just his defense is incredible. That's what I love about it the most. Oh, Jermaine Sr., um, I know you went from being undrafted to going on having a lengthy NFL career, winning the Super mm-hmm. Bowl. I'm sure you'd love to see your son follow in your footsteps and earn a ring of his own one day. Do you, do you think the coaching staff at Arizona, you know, Don Brown and the other guys he's going to be playing for out there, do you think that they'll be able to help him make that next step and prepare him for a possible NFL career? Well, you know what? My son obviously has dreams, just like every kid who plays football about playing at the next level. Um, and when you look at their their resumes and their track record as far as, you know, you know, just Jed Fish alone, he, he also coached with Sean McVay, another guy that I knew, uh, know, and, you know, his pedigree as far as just being in the NFL and having those connections and, you know, the rest of the coaching staff, that's something that, you know, it, when you look at it as a college athlete that's going to be attending the University of Arizona, that's, you know, that's a no-brainer. You know, they got enough connections there. It's about what you do as a player. And if yeah. you do those things, those opportunities will present the, present themselves. So for me, the biggest thing is, you know, he has goals and aspirations. And, you know, you're picking a school that not only are you trying to go there and help them win a Pac-12 championship and a national championship, because that's the main goal, um, but, you know, you're going to a place where these guys will prepare you for an opportunity if it presents itself at the next level. So, Jermaine Jr., you know, one thing about Arizona is we have a big in-state rival in Arizona State. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, it, for you not being down here, you will learn this quickly. These teams hate – these schools hate each other. And, in fact, my co-host has written two books about it. Got to check this out, latest one called uh, Rich Broad versus Graham. I'm sorry. Guys, I promise I don't put him up to this. I got to plug your book. What do you know, Jermaine Jr., about this rivalry – and I'm going to tell you, you're going to learn a lot when you're down there in Tucson. Well, I didn't really know much about it until I started looking into the school. But then once I committed, I was just – I'm actually I'm actually hyped for that game to see. I saw the arrivals all over YouTube and everything, but I'm just excited to play in that game against them. Yeah, it's the one game every year where, I mean, the records go out the window. Back in 2016, yeah. Arizona was terrible. They were 2-9, and nine, uh, yeah, and, and went and, and didn't throw a pass in the second half and still won by three touchdowns <laughs> against a, a decent ASU team. So you just never know. Now, Jermaine Sr., you played, I believe, at Georgia. Is that correct? And yeah, I started at Marshall, and then I transferred to Georgia. Transferred to Georgia. So you played, obviously, you know, you had some rivalries. Marshall, West Virginia, not – I don't – I know they don't play every year. Georgia, Florida – so when it comes to the epitome of a rivalry game, tell us what you're going to give, what advice you're going to give to your son going into that game. Uh, you know, I always try to tell him that's the one, you know, because I'm still a big Bulldogs fan. And, you know, now I'm obviously a Wildcats fan. <laughs> but I, I always tell him, you know, the rivalry games, nothing else matters except winning those games. For us, it was the, you know, Georgia-Florida game, um, which was a huge rivalry for us. So uh, those, one, those are one of the biggest things. And then obviously you can see we wear these Patriots hats because we're Patriot supporters living up here in, in Boston. And so one guy that we know will probably give us a lot of information on the rivalry game is uh, Teddy Bruschi, you know. And so, yep. uh, uh, you know, I've talked to Teddy a couple times. And so just to see the rivalry of Arizona, Arizona State, you know, it's going to be exciting for him to be part of that, yeah. that whole rivalry in college. Yeah, I want to ask you about, about playing with, with Teddy Bruschi. Uh, and you guys won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl 36. Uh, one of the biggest underdogs in Super Bowl history. You shocked the world. Uh, Tom Brady, the GOAT, got his first one. I mean, what was your connection with Teddy as players? Did you guys – were you guys friends a lot? Or were you kind of mm-hmm. obviously on separate sides of the ball? How did that work out? No, Teddy and I, you know, we still see each other a lot. You know, 
because of the stuff that he does with ESPN and, you know, he lives locally and, you know, stuff that I do in radio and TV. And, you know, we obviously support the Patriots. So, uh, you know, Teddy is a great guy. And, and obviously when you look at Teddy, what he, what he accomplished at Arizona, I mean, you're talking about what the all time leader in sacks in NCAA history or something like that. And so, you know, an Arizona record that, you know, I always say, Hey, listen, Hey, if you're going to go after a record, you might as well go after that one. <laughs> So uh, it's just great to be at a great school like that. Obviously, Gronkowski went there and just some of the other players. But, um, you know, I'm excited more for him than anything else. Yeah, and uh, as fate would have it, Bruski and Gronk are going to be uh, the coaches for the uh, spring game next month. Uh, uh, Jermaine Jr., are you, uh, are you and your dad planning on going out to that game? Do they read uh, that? Yes, we're, yes, we're going to plan on going out to that game. We're actually going to go out to one of the games if we can make it um, after the season on uh, the 23rd. So that's what we're planning on going. Okay. I got one final question for both of you. I mean, really appreciate your time. Uh, Jermaine Jr., just we always love to ask all the student athletes who come on, tell us something that we don't know about you off the field, like any hobbies, special talents, anything that maybe most people don't know about you? Uh, hobbies? Well, one hobby uh, I like to play do. Play Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> I like to play my video game, but when I get out the house, I like to go with my grandfather, and we like to go fishing. So that's one of the things I like to do. I like to spend time with them go fishing with him or my little brother. Okay. And uh, my last question for you, uh, Jermaine Sr. Uh, you know, we've had guys like um, Mark May and national recruiting analysts on this show who have been saying for a long time that schools like Arizona should make it a point to try to recruit talented athletes like your son back East and pitch them mm-hmm. on the beautiful weather, the scenery out West. From your perspective, do you, you know, do you think that's a strategy that the teams out West, including Arizona, should continue to use going forward to actually take time to go find some of those great athletes back East? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I think you're going to see that with Don Brown. You know, he, he, he recruits really well, especially in the Northeast region. And, yeah. and like you said, you can't – what better way to sell kids on? Obviously, the, the, the uniforms there, I know they've done a great job with some of the unique things they've done with the uniform, the facilities, the stadium, you know, all the swag that all these kids love. But at the end of the day, then you drop in that beautiful weather. What's it, 80 degrees right now? <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, 77 and sunny today, guys. I'm just telling you. 77 and sunny. You know, it's like 50 degrees here. So I think that's a great way to obviously uh, get guys, especially on the East Coast that, you know, dealing with this cold weather to say, you know what? Arizona seems like a nice place. So we're we're excited to get down there and see it, you know, and we'll be down there. My youngest son will be going to camp. Hopefully they'll have a spring camp and then he'll be uh, going there and everything. So. Well, the Jetfish train continues to pay off. Really glad to have Jermaine Wiggins Jr. Uh, coming to U of A in 2022. Thank you both for joining us, and we look forward to you guys being a part of the Wildcat family going forward. Yes, sir. Thank you. Really cool to talk to our two guests, this, our three guests this week. Uh, thank you to Jermaine Wiggins Sr. and Jr. Great to find out some perspective, and, and they're going to be great ambassadors for the football team, both on the field and off with, with Jermaine Sr. He's, he's an awesome guest, and, and, and looking forward to talking to them again, hopefully before uh, Jermaine Jr. gets to campus next year. And, of course, Terry Francona, who was uh, you know a, a great guest and, and probably the best one we've had yet, the most accomplished one we've had yet. So really exciting show, Shane. Um, I just want to, as we're wrapping up the show here, it, it looks as though the University of, or excuse me, UCLA's women's basketball team is going to lose to Texas in the Sweet 16. So Arizona and Oregon and Stanford are holding down the fort uh, for the Pac-12, three teams in the, in the, on the women's side and four teams on the men's side. I mean, phenomenal. I, I, you, you can't ask for much more than that. 
Are you upset to see UCLA lose? You know, I know how we feel about Illinois. You upset to see Illinois or UCLA lose because of their beating the Wildcats a couple times this season? I'm not upset about it. It's a little concerning because I thought UCLA was a very good team and UCLA did beat Arizona in the Pac-12 tournament. So, you know, you think about those things and you think, okay, well, is Arizona really that good? I, I don't know. I'm not upset about it because, you know, I care less about what you, how UCLA does. But in terms of, you know, how good is Arizona as a measuring stick, concerns me a little bit, to be honest with you. When we record this podcast next week, how many Pac-12 teams will be left on the men's and women's side, in your opinion? We have the final four set up by then, right? Yes. Uh, so um, I don't think there's going to be any on the men's side. I think I, gonna, I think Stanford's going to win it all on the women's side. Okay. So what I and I would I was going to say the same answer. So no argument there. And if Arizona gets past Texas A and M, which I I'm skeptical, but if they do, I think they're going to be in the final four as well. And if so, we will be celebrating next Friday night uh, and watching them in the Final Four, which would be really, really, really really exciting. Congrats to Adia Barnes, who I think is arguably the best coach on campus, along with Jay Johnson and Mike Andrea, the three best coaches that Arizona has. And they have a great list of coaches. No offense to Jed Fish, Sean Miller, uh, and and others. But, I mean, what Adia Barnes does, what Jay Johnson does, what Mike Andrea does, just phenomenal. And we are lucky to have them. We are more fortunate than a lot of other schools. So, uh, Shane, it's been an awesome episode, one of my favorites that we've done yet. Uh, thank you to Francona's, uh, Terry Francona. Thank you to Jermaine Wiggins, Sr. and Jr. Thank you, Shane. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm Eric Cohen. Thanks for listening to Wildcat Country. And as always, bear down. Bear down.